Hey, hello everyone and welcome to episode number 84 of Conversations on India. And uh, today uh, we're going to talk about a couple of very important issues. Uh, the first one is going to be the relations between India and the Gulf countries and uh, how India has moved closer to the Gulf countries in the recent times and how it was a total impossibility just a few years ago given uh, the hyphenation of India-Pakistan relations and how the Gulf countries looked at India uh, during that time. And then we are also going to talk about the Manipur uh, violence that took place uh, very recently uh, and uh, we're going to uh, dig, dig deep into it, uh, figure out what are the real issues that are causing this violence and uh, you know, uh, like uh, what are the underlying issues, uh, how we can move forward, how we can avoid such violence in the future and Siddharth is here as well. So let me send him an invite. Fantastic. Hey, hi Arjun. Uh, you sent me a DM. I'll check it out for sure. Thank you. Anushka, hi. Hi Manish. Hi Abhishek. Hello. Hey, hi, hi Siddharth. Hello sir. How are you doing? Hello. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right, awesome. I don't mind this. Why is it not? Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. Nobody voice is not coming through. Right. Well, just Thank another you. day on Instagram Live. But anyway, uh, let's get started. Uh, so first of all, sir, uh, you're just coming back from your uh, interviews. So uh, give us a little, little bit of perspective of how uh, UPSC interviews are. Uh, you know, it, it is a very, uh, you know, uh, very famed uh, stage and uh, a, a lot of talk about interviews being scary. Uh, five on one. Uh, how was the experience for you? Can you summarize it for us? So. So this was my first interview, right, after having failed three prelims, and this was my first main. So, so experience of interview overall was good, as it was very cordial. Uh, my chairman were Sri Manoj Soni, sir. So he's the chairman of the UPSC. So he was my uh, board chairman, chairperson, and uh, five members. So basically the interview started on a very different note. So it started with my name, Mox, Siddhartha, related to Buddha. And then it went on towards his birth date. Then his birth according to Hindu calendar. So I did not know both of them. So my first two responses were, sorry, sir, I don't know. So yeah, on that front, I would not say it to be a very good interview, starting on a note that I did not know. But overall, uh, the board was very cordial. Uh, multiple questions from all aspects of my lab, including hobby. So we had a discussion on long distance learning, few projects. Uh, current topics discussion. So overall, it was good in uh, good experience. Uh, relatively different from what I was facing in the mock, but uh, mm -hmm. not very scary as what it is said to be. Like when I was sitting outside the room, so there is a chair, a famed chair of UPSC, where you sit just before entering for your interview. So when I was sitting on that chair, I was just sitting there and like I was not nervous on that day. I was nervous two days before interview. I was very nervous. But I was not nervous on that particular day when I was sitting there and I was just thankful I have made it till here. So that itself 
gave a sense of confidence and after that it was i just went in and when i came out i realized that you know 20 25 minutes have already passed so i did not know uh, how quickly the time goes and there were multiple questions that i did not know the factual questions basically so now they picked uh-huh. up questions from my school education uh, particularly i had studied in dalhousie public school so they picked right. up the word dalhousie and then there were questions on dalhousie uh, lord dalhousie ranjit singh and dalhousie which i did not know that was there a battle or something like that so these sort of things and uh, you know it is also not advisable to take guess work uh, you know you're taking guess in front of the esteemed board yep. members that shows a you know very big uh, flaw in your personality so on that, that note i just said that sorry sir i'm not aware of these things so they just you know moved on towards the next question like it was more of a they just wanted to have a conversation on diverse topics so that was my interview experience so that was good. yeah uh, good. now only march will tell how good it was right right and uh, yeah of, of course like uh, you know starting with siddharth uh, the the name of uh, you know the real name of buddha and also uh, the uh, actually the fact also i i found out through you that day that uh, the date uh, on which buddha was born the date on which he attained enlightenment and the date on which he finally died they are all three are the same date or at least we remember them as one day which is the buddha purnima uh, yeah 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 i was not familiar so, with the fact so that is why i did not take the guess of buddha purnima when asked for his birthday right. because i was not really sure that whether it was the date of his enlightenment or whether it was you know final nirvana or uh-huh. the birth date so i decided to give it as well uh, no, no, no but, uh, coming on uh-huh. you know always looking on the hindsight now that uh, we we have this advantage uh, now if you were to ask that could your interview have gone better so i would say that if the similar circumstances with similar knowledge uh, i would go again i would uh, perform the same like not much difference Uh, right maybe one yeah. or two questions i could have done better but no 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 so so what always happens after these big interviews is you always remember the things that you could not do well uh, whereas the overall interview uh, you know however it was you, you, you don't really have a good idea because you're too close to it and uh, like uh, you always remember the things uh, where uh, you know you sort of messed up so uh, you, you don't have to sort of uh, worry about it too much what is done is done and uh, what uh, we can sort of worry about is what comes next and uh, you know uh, for you it's uh, like the prelims which are coming up and uh, there are people in the chat who are already uh, you know uh, <laughs> pushing us to focus on prelims uh, yes of course that is right uh, but uh, what we have uh, right now in front of us is this episode so uh, without further ado let's get on with it and yes. uh, let's actually start with the india and gulf relations and uh, i'll just uh, pin the comment here uh, and uh, get started with the topic so uh, uh, re- recently uh, there was a very high level meeting uh, between the saudi crown prince and the national security advisors of uh, india us and uh, the uae as well so uh, you know the crown prince meeting the uh, nsa of uae is not such a big deal because those two countries are on the gulf cooperation council but uh, and and sort of meeting the us uh, at at the same time is also not such a big deal because uh, the us and saudi have been uh, like big partners but also having india in that mix is is, is a huge strategic shift and it represents uh, like a momentous moment in uh, india's foreign relations so uh, first of all uh, you know uh, just to uh, make it clear uh, for our audience that the gulf cooperation council it actually consists of six countries 
and uh, saudi arabia being the biggest one of them it is actually uh, like a, uh, a council of all the countries on the arabian peninsula so everything that's uh, you know on the west of the persian gulf so this includes saudi arabia kuwait uae oman uh, qatar and uh, as well as bahrain so uh, these six countries it does not have iraq does not have iran does not have yemen uh, which is also on the uh, uh, arabian peninsula but uh, it's, it's it's like the uh, child that uh, is is, is uh, disincluded from the will and uh, but uh, these are the six countries of the gulf cooperation council and uh, with which india is starting to build uh, closer ties with so uh, a, a question for the audience uh, does iraq have a port on the persian gulf uh, so uh, persian gulf is obviously named after persia which is the historical name of iran and uh, it it has all these uh, countries uh, you know uh, which are which have major ports there uh, which includes uh, saudi arabia as well as uh, kuwait as well as abu uh, uae and uh, qatar as well and uh, iraq has a very tiny strip of land which is connected on the north side to the persian gulf and there is a port called am qasr uh, which is also located on the persian gulf and it is actually one of iran's largest ports uh, iraq's largest ports otherwise iraq uh, would have been uh, majorly a landlocked country it is through this port that it has access to the persian gulf and hence the arabian sea and uh, you know uh, it it can uh, go to the international waters otherwise it is landlocked uh, from all of the sides then uh, i have a question uh, for panda that uh, you know uh, uh, until a few years ago any proposition uh, that india would sit down with the us and the gulf countries was uh, like a huge fantasy uh, now what are the shift uh, what are some ideological uh, reasons behind this shift that we are seeing uh, where india is uh, trying to develop closer ties with the gulf countries right see what has basically happened uh, is that india's stature globally is changing and it is not only the india's uh, change in stature but it is also the way that we are pursuing relations we are becoming more practical we are becoming more assertive we are looking for uh, better groupings in which like minded countries are acting together and we are trying to maximize the interest of our nation that is what india has been focusing on for example in the case of cooperation with gulf uh, nations the gcc nations basically so india has realized that yes the majority of these uh, countries india has stayed away so the primary reason for having stayed away is that india was uh, primarily focused on its neighborhood that was the first reason and it was always constrained by the thinking of china and pakistan like very limited uh, constrainment second is that us had a very good relation with uh, saudi arabia you have already mentioned and india had a very good relation with russia as of the past so there was always this unsaid rivalry between those nations and uh, india being the focal point so india could not initiate relations with the gulf cooperation that were more sidelined with the us when itself it was being sidelined on the russian side but now that uh, also being specifically seen in the current context that india stature is rising india is being seen as the power that uh, can negotiate talks between ukraine and russia so its stature has increased and it has become it has become more acceptable uh, also to the gulf nation and there have been multiple changes in dialogues you know there have been talks between israel and gulf nations mediated by usa uh, uh, primarily the uh, abraham accords consisting of uae saudi and uh, israel also there had uh, been a recent shift in reopening of diplomatic ties between uh, iran and, and uh, saudi arabia that was coordinated by china so 
world is coming to realize that having this hard shift ideologies is not what is practical for them that is the first aspect second aspect is that india has had a huge trade uh, with these nations these uh, before coming of this russian scenario uh, india was major export uh, importer of oil from these nations you know iraq uh, we have the saudi and other gulf cooperation they were the major exporter to india oman so they supplied huge amounts of natural gas and petroleum reserves right and india to trade better to negotiate better has opened up see this is what we are thinking of second is uh, third is that indian diaspora india has a diaspora of nearly 80 lakh people in that region you know in some countries that is uh, particularly for example ue it is up to 30% of their population 30 35% of their population are indians and they are sending remittances back to india so the remittances only from the gulf cooperation countries amounts to 26% of total remittances received by india so it signifies signifies how important it is right and, and another thing is that india is also diversifying its investment resources and that is also being reciprocated by the gulf nations uh, aram uh, the uh, aramco if i remember correctly the uh, industry has yeah so it invested in reliance uh there was a talk of investing in jammu and kashmir one of the largest malls is going to be opened in jammu and kashmir because they are diversifying their needs they know that oil is something that is not going to sustain for long so they need to diversify their sources of investment so they need better locations they need better opportunities and also india's entry to gulf cooperation had been primarily limited by pakistan's uh, focus pakistan was the one major uh, i would say obstacle in india cooperating with them now that the world is coming to realize that uh, pakistan is not going to change its nature of uh, talk it is only important geographically it does not have any strategic importance other than that it is going towards being a failed state whereas india is resilient and is being seen as the next superpower so world is also reciprocating to that practicality that it is responding better to india's calls than listening to pakistan so these are all the factors combined that are leading to india uh, invest more in that and vice versa being reciprocated so this is the change that has come yeah uh, definitely and uh, you know uh, you have outlined all the points why india is uh, you know taking middle east more seriously in its foreign policy and uh, the same can be seen uh, you know uh, through this uh, meeting this high level meeting of i2u2 which took place in uh, october 2021 so i2u2 represents india israel us and the uae and uh, you know uh, one could never imagine israel and uh, ue meeting at a forum and uh, that too uh, which is being mediated by india and the united states so uh, all of this represents a huge uh, policy shift where uh, middle east is a very important region commercially uh, located at the crossroads of trade routes and uh, india is a growing power and uh, you know closer relations between these two are uh, you know what the time really asks for now uh, Uh, i would just like to uh, you know double click on the, the trade aspect that you have mentioned uh, the relationship of india with gulf countries in terms of trade so uh, for, for example india's exports uh, to the gulf uh, cooperation council member countries have grown 58% over uh, just one year so it has gone to usd 44 billion from uh, just 27.8 billion in 2021 it has gone to uh, 40.8 billion in 2022 and then bilateral trade has also gone up to 154 billion uh, from just 80, 87 billion the year before uh, services trade has gone up to 14 billion from 8 billion and uh, gcc uh, countries actually contribute a large part of india's energy input 
So uh, 35% of Indian oil imports come from these countries and 70% of natural gas imports also come from these countries. In fact, uh, you know, uh, in, in India uh, is like uh, t- totally importing crude oil uh, worth $48 billion every year from uh, these uh, Gulf countries. So India is uh, clearly a huge customer of uh, their natural resource. And uh, it, it makes sense for them as well to have closer ties with India as India's energy needs are only going to grow until we shift to a greener means. So uh, the Gulf countries provide an excellent resource and uh, closer ties between uh, these two places will also help India uh, in its energy security. Then uh, additional reasons uh, are, of course, uh, as you mentioned, the huge number of uh, people from India who work in these Gulf countries and India receives a huge amount of remittances. India is actually the largest receiver of remittances in the world. Uh, India receives $80 billion worth of remittances from uh, all the countries in the world and uh, particularly uh, from UAE. So UAE is such a small country and uh, we are actually the largest single uh, group of population in in the UAE, even more than UAE natives. And uh, we get back uh, 15.4 billion US dollars uh, every year uh, from the UAE, which is uh, like 20% of our uh, total remittances received. So uh, such uh, high level people to people relations also exist between India and these Gulf countries. Now, uh, the the, uh, final uh, sort of point is that how does it impact Pakistan's position, Uh, you know, given uh, that India is getting closer ties uh, with the Gulf uh, Cooperation Council. So uh, Pakistan, A, uh, it it continues to lose its strategic importance uh, ever since, uh, you know, uh, Afghanistan lost its strategic importance ever since the U.S. sort of uh, withdrew from there. And uh, Pakistan, as a result of that, and of many other factors or because of their own political instability or because of the collapse, collapsing economy, it is losing uh, its uh, strategic importance in the international arena. And uh, the Gulf countries also realize this. And uh, they are also moving uh, from uh, the ideology of religionism, where uh, Pakistan uh, being a, a majority Islam country uh, was uh, sort of treated as a, a brother there. But now that is changing because India is becoming a huge customer of uh, the oil and uh, Pakistan is really uh, becoming uh, like a loss making uh, item on their balance sheet uh, because all Pakistan really does is ask for uh, loans. So uh, the Gulf countries are also realizing uh, this and uh, no longer is India looked at through the lens of Pakistan when, when we go and talk to these countries. So that is again contributing to a positive shift in these relations. And uh, as I said, all of these Gulf countries, they have moved on from religionism, where religion is no longer the most important thing. Even these countries have strong waves of nationalism coming in. Uh, some of these countries, uh, such as Turkey, which do have elections uh, where, uh, you know, nationalist uh, leaders have uh, been elected and uh, religion is no longer the, the sort of the biggest point. So uh, th- this was sort of an overview of the India-Gulf relations and uh, also looking ahead what, what comes forward for us. And, uh, you know, uh, closer and closer ties between India and the Gulf countries are in the offing. So, uh, Panda, before we move on to the next topic, is there anything else you would like to mention? Yeah, I just want to double on the fact that now countries are guided by practicality rather than their personal belief, their perceived morality. Uh, more better interaction with the Gulf cooperation nations because they are realizing that now that India is strategically achieving its autonomy, uh, it has moved towards Russian food when that was available at a cheaper rate. So, you know, you cannot restrain or restrict someone in this world where there are always multiple options available. The best part is to 
benefit from each other and that is what these nations are moving forward uh, moving towards you know so this is the best thing both investing in each other uh, this also changes the world uh, view you know the dialogue that the pakistan has already uh, always used uh, bringing up this religious issue uh, on the international fora be it in the case of un uh, so mm-hmm. that, that perspective is also getting diluted by interaction of india along with gcc and also being reciprocated by the gcc so that is something that is very important uh, for both the nations you know they are being seen to be more secular so that is going to give them better uh, investment opportunities israel is uh, interested again brokered by us and on this side it goes to counter the pakistan view and uh, also recent events in pakistan that again goes to show that it is moving towards being a failed state like if not exactly failed but you know somewhere close to a failed state so in that sense i think so that this is a practical step and uh, you know totally in support of such more moves more better uh, interaction and dialogue with other nations all right fantastic so uh, i think with that we have covered all the bases on the india and gulf relations and let's move on to the next topic which is about the manipur violence so panda ticket away right see there have been violent clashes in manipur recently and uh, there was a tweet by the legendary boxer mc maricom that mera desh jal raha hai mera state jal raha so it went rounds uh, on twitter you know mainline media did not cover it that much it was not highlighted that much there was internet suspension there was order given to the state authorities and the army to uh, shoot at site so this was the nature of violence that had erupted in that state and uh, it was particularly pertaining to one uh, specific district uh, that district is chura chandpur right so uh, i'll just first explain as to what and how the violence of manipur was you know all about what is the issue in the manipur like deep rooted issue this is not a violence that is a consequence of you know instantaneous or sporadic uh, instant this is something that has been built up over the uh, years so first i'll set up the base and then uh, i'll ask few questions from yas so now, now coming to this what recently has happened is what was the main trigger point of this violence was that uh, from 20 12 see manipur is constituted by three major uh, i would say communities so manipur can be seen as a basketball ground so you have the basketball court in between and then you have all these spectators around or a football ground and any uh, thing works so in the center you see that you have a area that is very less say 10% so that is the 10% area of the manipur is constituted by the metis the metis are primarily the hindus and the muslims now we have the hindu metis and the muslim metis muslim metis are called pangals so this is the area 10% area but this is a concentrated area this area has 60% of the population of total manipur outside this area there are hills so there are around 35 tribals living on those hills tribal communities the primary most dominating ones in those are the nagas and the kupis so you have uh, so i'll just focus my discussion on these three communities because these are in news and these have been in news constantly so you have the metis in the center then you have the kukis and nagas as a hill and it is uh, what has presently happened is that there have been an attack on these metis by the kukis in a particular area uh, in that particular district that we were just talking about uh, charasandhur 
so basically what has happened in that district is that that district was being claimed by cookies and uh, government was asked to vacate that district and there was clash the main reason for the in, the immediate reason was that high court had ordered like there was a demand in 2012 from these meetings to be included in st list now the high court uh, had the manipur high court ordered that government should take step to include them in the st list and this is what uh, instituted the violence the instant violence right now before going into what followed and uh, how i'll give some uh, more brief uh, information so these meetings were natives they were already always present in manipur the nagas were always present right and nagas were tribals who had they were head hunting tribals like they were fierce warriors and they used to come down during the british era they used to come down on these meetings and they used to capture them and loot them so what the britishers did is they brought few people from myanmar who were also head hunting tribals who were expert in these battle fields who could act as a buffer zone between the two and who could protect the meetings or basically their self interest during that time so it was during that time that the cookies were brought from myanmar so now you had the meetings the original inhabitants now the cookies and the naga the cookies and the nagas are christians they both are christian so there is a religious difference as well as political difference this 10% area consisting of 60% population comprises of 40 seats out of the total 60 seats there is only 20 seats are given to the uh, rest of the cookies and the naga so this also contention now there have been this demand of st reservation this is being seen as an encroachment uh, upon you know the powers or uh, the dilution of status for the cookies and the nagas who are already in the st list so it was in this context that the immediate reason started and then there was a ps battle ground so this was the historical ground as to why there have always been a constant fighting and it is not as if fighting is only between the cookies and the metis or the nagas and the metis these groups also fight amongst themselves there was a huge fighting between the nagas and the cookies so there is a constant fighting there is no uh, constant peace between these groupings so there has been temporary peace at times uh, in 1993 for example there was huge violence between the nagas and the cookies so this is something that is that that is that rapidly happens and this is on the myanmar border so myanmar has a forest border uh, of 15 kilometers the all the four states that are bounding myanmar they have a forest border for a uh, free movement for 15 kilometers because they are tribal nations and they can move uh, tribes can move from one state to another state easily for the local right so this was the basic history of the cookies metis and the divide that is basically doing now i'll start my question now we ask my question for you is that what is the argument that was given by the natives for that st reservation on which this fight started right so uh, you know as you clearly highlighted that the metis have been uh, you know uh, the, the the population uh, which has had more money uh, which has been located centrally in the infall valley and uh, the tribals have sort of uh, felt that uh, they are in a vulnerable position as compared to the metis uh, now uh, the, the metis are arguing also for an st status Uh, because uh, of a couple of reasons so the whole movement actually started in 2012 and then uh, the metis argue that uh, in 1949 uh, you know when the union of india was constructed uh, the metis were a protected tribe and and then later on uh, the the status was taken away and then uh, they also argue that to protect uh, the ancestral land the heritage uh, to to save their culture they they require the uh, st uh, tag 
and uh, then uh, the other argument is that the tribals from the hills are allowed to buy land in the imphal valley but uh, the metis inside imphal valley are not able to buy land on the hills so uh, th this again creates a shrinking uh, patch of land on which uh, these metis can live and then uh, their population has also seen a decline so uh, it was uh, i think at independence 59% of manipur's population and according to 2011 census it has gone down to only 44% of uh, manipur's population so again uh, you know all these insecurities about a demographic collapse uh, are also coming in within the state so i, I think uh, these are some of the reasons why uh, the uh, metis have been uh, demanding uh, this uh st status and uh, during the period 2006 to 12 uh, there was also a demand for an inner line permit so uh, th this really goes back to the british days where uh, the, what they're trying to do is uh, protect uh, the porous indo myanmar border and uh, you know not let any uh, people from myanmar come in and disturb the demographic balance so uh, again uh, this uh, demand also uh, took place earlier and uh, uh, you know uh, like all of these are uh, the reasons why uh they are demanding an st reservation and of course there are benefits to an st reservation uh in in jobs in education uh there are uh, so many state jobs which are reserved for just sts so uh, this is a very hot button issue in manipur and uh, the violence was clearly an evidence of that right see in manipur basically government jobs or government i would say is the largest employer so st jobs are most lucrative in that state in a state where there is less development less industries so government jobs are seen as one of the most prestigious and most safest option in that state so in that sense yes sp demand was there also they are demanding for an inner line permit what inner line permit is that there are four states in uh, india that have an inner line permit uh, the outer four states basically mizoram nagaland uh arunachal and i think so some parts of assam i'm not I, i'll have to check on that uh or i think so manipur was included after this demand so all those four states are basically in the part of inner line permit so what inner line permit is so whenever anyone wants to enter that area requires a permission from the government then permission will be given online like you will just have to go to the portal and register it or you can even get it from the first stop when you enter that station so it keeps a check on, on who is entering and who is Uh, not entering so that uh, that that check is required to prevent illegal immigration into these states so there have been this uh, rising concern by these natives that cookies from myanmar they are still infiltrating the areas and they are purchasing that land and the benefit of st is that uh, it it comes with certain benefits you know there are benefits under the forest rights act that you cannot randomly go and purchase an st land it requires a proper consent of the grants of the people but that is not true in the general case so that is why the land is shrinking for the metis that hill tribes are purchasing land in their region but they cannot do the same so that is why also there has been this demand now why is tribals why are these tribals against these sts now that is also uh, why are these tribals against the st demand for metis now this is what has led to this so the first one is that uh, the metis have a political and demographic advantage still they are comprised approximately 44 50% of the population and they also have a political advantage 60 uh, 40 seats out of 60 seats in their state legislative assembly comes from those metis it is not in proportion to the population of other tribes so that is one thing second is now giving them job opportunities only going to make them more affluent and they believe that after becoming more affluent they are going to become more powerful and they are even going to diminish the rights that are still available to the cookies and the nagas 
second is that they have this manipuri language so it is basically the language of the metis so that is already included in the age schedule so there are mostly allegations that there are benefits that are being accrued to certain section of metis in the categories of sc ews and obcs that uh, should be used rather than giving them sc status this is the second demand and third is that that we, we have a huge geographical area we have 90% of geographical area the kokis and the naga but the bulk of budget and all the development works that are being done is being done in the 10% area where metis reside so they are just more they are see they are becoming more assertive of their rights and they are wanting to uh, exclude metis because they have a fear that after become after getting the sc status they become uh, all to more powerful and the rights that they are being deprived of even now will become more uh, exploitative in nature so that is why there has been this warrant uh, now uh, we ask my question for you is that what led to this unrest like this historical building what has led to this unrest ultimately uh, for these uh, metis versus kukis showdown yeah so, so uh, basically uh, there was the high court ruling uh, which uh, sort of uh, you know uh, said that the metis should get the st status which really uh, triggered uh, all of this but uh, you know uh, there have been all these instances in the past of forest eviction of uh, the metis taking place and uh, you know uh, the st demand uh, by the metis has always uh, riled up the sentiments among the tribes uh, so uh, it, it it has uh, all of this has been uh, in uh, like uh, constant church and then uh, in 2020 the center began the first uh, delimitation process in the state uh, since 1973 and delimitation is always uh, such a can of worms whenever uh, anyone tries to do it and uh, the meeti community was uh, sort of arguing that uh, the census figures which were used for the delimitation process did not actually represent the uh, demographic reality on the ground so uh, there the, there were uh, some issues with that uh, the tribes on the other hand had said that uh, they had grown up to 40% of the state's population and were uh, still underrepresented in the assembly so they had arguments of their own then uh, there has always been intrusion uh, from uh, the neighboring areas ever since the coup in myanmar in february 2021 uh, there has been a refugee crisis all over the northeast and uh, metis leaders have alleged that a uh, uh, sudden uh, mushrooming of villages in the chutchandrapur district has been uh, you know uh, the hot uh, area where all of these uh, migrants have been uh, coming up and the uh, drugs problem has also uh, sort of been another issue where uh, some of the tribals uh, groups have these vested interests and they are trying to uh, scuttle these government uh, crusades against the drugs by uh, coming up with these political issues so uh, you know uh, uh, like uh, there are issues on both sides and uh, this is clearly uh, you know a, a very uh, deep issue and and requires uh, like a a leader uh, to emerge in that area who, who can unite the sentiments of both communities and sort of uh, find a middle path see uh, i would like to add few things to this recent unrest uh, that this area of chura chandpur uh, it is a area that is not completely plain and it is an area that is not completely hilly and it is in this context where the battle also originated like uh, yes the immediate fire the immediate uh, fuel was provided by the Uh, the high court ruling but there have always been clashes in this area because there is no common ground as to whom this area belongs to parts of this district are hilly areas and there have been a demand by the kukis that this area explicitly demarcated for them whereas there has been taking up of uh, such areas by the metis and vice versa you know the hill area tribes coming to the plain area tribes and 
because you you cannot uh, hard demarcate a uh, boundary within a state and within a district like that is impossible also this area of uh, this district uh, is also according to panchayati raj ministry the worst performing and the most poor district in the nation and this this also has a root cause in its drug problem the plain areas are cleared now there have been accusations that cookies from the hills come and they cultivate drugs on their areas and that is also leading to the smuggling problem in that region and that has been opposed by the natives so that is also one reason for clash so basically what i see is that there is a clash and these clashes have their historical backgrounds uh, yes the cookies were brought in by the britishers but now they have assimilated in the part of india as indians so having a balance between them is very necessary so gas according to you what should be the way forward as to how there can be a balance between these uh, parties not only the nagas cookies and the metis but manipur as a whole uh, which has been historically divided right so i i think uh, first of all the demand for the st status by the metis it needs to be looked at uh, you know very rationally uh, through the lens uh, which has been recommended by several committees for the criteria of uh, the st status and uh, you know it it should be looked at independent of this rivalry that's going on between the hill tribes and the metis i have uh, you know the metis should get a fair consideration of their st status and it, it should be done according to uh, rules that have been set by all the several committees that have uh, you know appointed on this issue then uh, secondly uh, there has to be more surveillance along the border uh, you know ever since the coup there has been uh, you know instability in myanmar people want to move out of there indian myanmar have a porous border so uh, you know it is Uh, quite obvious that uh, these bordering states will see a rise in migrants so we need to figure out ways uh, to either stop that or at least keep an account of uh, you know all the migrants that are coming in so that uh, you know at at a later stage uh, we can assimilate them or uh, think about ways to assimilate them because if we do nothing then uh, these tensions are only going to rise and uh, you know the metis are only going to grow more and more insecure and uh, the hill tribes are only going to go more and more uh, you know uh, firm in their demand so uh, there is uh, this situation does not really have a uh, uh, you know an, an end towards which it is going it is actually going towards the escalatory path and it it requires uh, you know firm intervention uh, in in the form of uh, stronger uh, border controls uh, to to sort of nip it in the bud otherwise uh, this could actually flare up into a huge uh like a huge crisis and uh, lots of lives and uh, you know livelihoods are at stake then uh, the government should also foster, foster participation of people uh, there is also some truth to the fact that the nagas and the hill tribes uh, they they felt left out of the system where uh, you know uh, the large majority of the elites and as well as the political elite uh, the business elite they all come from uh, the uh, you know the dominant uh, metis uh, group and uh, this also leads to all of the government projects are being awarded to the imphal valley everything going to the city and the hills are really left underdeveloped uh, and this is where the hill tribes uh, they uh, not only feel the disconnect with the metis but they also feel disconnect with india as a whole uh, because uh, you know uh, they they are being uh, treated as uh, an unequal child so uh, this should not be happening and uh, you know uh, this is a clearly a situation where the home ministry should interfere because uh, it 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 represents a threat uh, to uh, citizens of india who are living in that area then uh, you know uh, we need to have uh, better controls uh, of identity of people who are entering so india is of course uh, huge on the digital stack 
and we have been able to give digital identities to 1.3 billion people so i have no clue why we are not able to do it for another million who might be uh, coming across uh, from uh, you know myanmar Uh, in, in, into the hilly areas. So, if, if we can just give them IDs and keep a track of them, uh, you know, uh, it, it will still be fine as long as uh, we we don't fear, uh, you know, them uh, causing a demographic, uh, you know, problem in these states where the citizenry of these states do not feel threatened by uh, these incoming migrants. If we can just give them IDs and keep a track of them, I I think it will. Ali, some of the fears that uh, the citizenry in in these uh, states have. So uh, those are like some of my points for the way forward. But Pandu, why don't you take the last word on this? Yes, I also believe that you know development is something that is going to lead the way forward. Uh, mm-hmm. The meetings they have tasted the success of development. They are living a relatively better quality of life, and this has not reached the hill areas, the hilly areas, and these hill tribes see. this not this development not reaching to them uh, they see this as a consequence or i would say uh, more of a plot by, by the metis so it is the uh, metis that are developed relatively in a better position than the hill areas the hill areas are not developed once the hill areas start to develop and they get a taste of development as, and they get better opportunities uh, they get channels to uh, you know flow their energy channelize their extra energy in that means so that can be uh, leading to the growth of manipur as a whole and only that can lead to a, a harmony between them because see they are not only historically divided they are also religiously divided and this religious division has been exploited by few uh, leaders uh, to share this war uh, christians hindus muslims and what not you know the saga continues so basically i think so the way forward is development and yes uh, very important the controlling of immigration Uh, illegal immigration uh, from the uh, Myanmar border that is going to alter or that is still altering the demographics of the region. So I think so these two are the way forward. But for meanwhile, uh, the army has put, uh, been put in place uh, for controlling the riots and the situation basically that are happening in that area. And uh, presently, it is only a status quo, and it is only for a temporary basis as to not uh, let the war clear up. But Over the years, we have seen that this issue is coming up again and again, again and again. So there needs to be some some sort of permanent solution, right? And that is where the government needs to step in, and it needs to, you know, have all the groupings sit aside and have a proper demand demand based approach as to how to pursue the issue of Manipur. And only as a whole can you pursue the issue of Manipur, and not by uh, consulting with discrete tribal groups. Because that is again going to lead to flaring up of some other tribal group or some other demand. So that is the way forward, according to me. That it has to be done in a uh, you know manner in which all the groups are in unanimity, and uh, only then you know can we realize that spirit of India and all of those can feel as true Indians in true sense rather than seeing themselves as enemy in the common state. right yeah so you're absolutely right that everybody uh, needs to be brought to the table and uh, everybody needs to be made uh, made to feel like they are being heard and uh, you know whatever sort of middle path that we come up with here uh, it, it has to satisfy uh, not only the metis but also uh, the hill tribes who also form a part of the state in fact as uh, you know on the majority of the geographical land of the state all right so i think with that uh, we have covered all the bases on uh, this particular uh, issue uh, in in manipur and we'll keep an eye on it uh, to see how it develops further and if there are any new updates we'll come back to this for sure 
and uh, with that we have uh, also come to the end of this episode and uh, i would like to thank everyone who joined us live uh, followed us along uh, thank you so much uh, for your attention and uh, we promise to keep bringing these uh, insightful episodes to you uh, every now and then and as always thank you so much to panda for uh, showing up and bringing all of his insights and experiences uh, to the forum and sharing it with our audience thank you ras mm-hmm. all the all best right. for the aspirants out there yeah, the all the best guys uh, yeah uh, the prelims is coming up so uh, all the best to the aspirants out there and uh, uh, do uh, check us out uh, on uh, any podcast apps that you might have uh, so we also put up these episodes on uh, spotify apple podcast google podcast so if you get uh, if you have any of these apps please uh, do remember to Uh, follow us uh, and uh, give us a rating there uh, it would be highly appreciated and with that uh, we're going to close today's episode uh, thank you so much episode 34 in the books uh, see you next time take care guys bye bye thank you guys bye